Hey guys, before we get started, I wanted to warn you that this episode contains a lot of dark shit. I mean, we're going to be talking about drug use and graphic depictions of drug use, um, graphic bodily functions that go along with drug use. We're going to be talking about um, self-harm, including suicide. We're going to talk about um, domestic violence, child abuse, all is chock full of dark shit. So if any of those things would make this a hard listen for you, don't listen to it. Take care of yourself. That is more important than listening to some dumb podcast. Skip it. Listen to something else. And I'll see you on the next one. Later. Hey guys, Princess here. And welcome to another episode of My Pumpkin. Bonus Patreon edition. Um, I've gotten myself into a bit of a pickle this week. I have agreed to basically record a podcast every motherfucking day this week. And so I'm recording this a little early, so I'll get this out on time. But um, yeah, I'm in a podcast sweatshop right now and I got to get moving. So this week is not a sponsored episode. I just wanted to talk about intervention. And I remembered an episode that I really liked and I don't think I ever got a time to talk about. It's called Family of Addicts, uh, Tom and John. It's season 19, episode seven. It came out in 2019. Um, the reason I find it interesting is that there are, they actually intervene on six separate people in this episode. And I also thought the setting, which is Patterson, New Jersey, which is not spelled how I would think Patterson is spelled. Where's your other T Patterson? Listen, I know, I know you guys already princess is named after somebody with one T and da, 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 da. I get it. I'm just saying, I thought there was going to be two T's. What, what? But I mean, that's, that's, you know, based on what I watched on this episode, that's the least problem with fucking Patterson. Um, so the main characters of this, uh, episode are Tom and John. Tom's 23, John's 21. We're actually going to call him John John because he's a junior. And most of the episode, people switch between calling him John and John John. They are brothers and they live on the streets of Patterson. Um, you know, intervention. Yeah, we can talk about the ethics of intervention. Um, I don't, think, uh, I don't think it's very ethical. Um, there are lots of layers to this, okay? Interventions. Themselves, not filmed for a TV show. Can be, I don't know, TBD on that. Um, I've talked about this before. The idea of forcing someone into a quote unquote bottom and saying whatever you need to, to get them to um, a treatment facility does appeal to lots of people who love an addict, right? You, anything you can do, you'll do anything. If, 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 if you could kidnap them and take them, you do anything, but there are concerns about informed consent. There are concerns about, what makes someone want to go to rehab and stay at rehab? Like uh, most people won't go to rehab one time and leave and it's all good. Most people won't do that. Um, so there, so, so 
there is a discussion to be had about the ethicalness of interventions, period. But the show intervention is even if, if we decide that interventions aren't very ethical, um, then the show intervention is definitely not ethical because not only do they, not only are all the ethical concerns of an intervention there, but also it's being filmed. There's an exploitation about it. Um, intervention is also a show called Addicted. Um, My 600 Pound Life. Those type of shows are by their very nature exploitative, right? Even if the subject of the episode gets something in return, free medical care, which is what a lot of them get or getting in return. Um, there's still an element of exploitation to it. Um, so, but if we start talking about the ethics of intervention of my 600 pound life of, can't think of any other shows right now that, that fall in this category. Although as soon as I stop recording, I will think of six. If we start thinking about the ethics of a show like that, we really have to like, it's throw the whole fucking show away, you know? And that's not even when we start to think about how the effect intervention has had on, I mean, you know, listen, everybody knows exactly how to deal with drug addiction because they've seen intervention. Cause, cause Jeff Von Dutudu, who's Von Durant, I, guys, I'm not looking it up. I looked it up one time and was very shocked at all the letters in that name. And, uh, Van Der I don't know, but just because he told, he, we've watched him talk to addicts on TV a million fucking times. Suddenly it gives you the idea that you know what it takes because you've seen this little show, this very produced show, this edited show, this manufactured show. Um, and just like we watch Super Nanny, we think we know how to raise all the kids. We know we know exactly what to do. We watch um, My Six Hundred Pound Life. We know exactly what those people need to do. It's 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 what we do. So Intervention is not a very ethical show, but it's a comfort show for me. I've been watching it since the beginning. I love mess. I love dark shit. I am. I grew up at the knee of my mother. Um, taking. My mother's a huge reader. She's she's the one that like really made me like love to fucking read. And she, my mom read mess. My mom read romance novels. My my mom read iceberg slim pimp narratives. My mom read um, Star and the National Enquirer and watched um, America's Most Wanted. And I was right there near her, listening to all her conversations, like being very quiet so I could hear exactly what she was saying about whomever. And, you know, you know, third grade, my mom's done with her inquiry. She passes it right on to me and I read it. And I think it's a fucking newspaper. And <laughs> whatever movie of the week's on, definitely we're watching that. Definitely. I definitely knew what rape was when I was five years old. Most definitely. Um, I knew about like, you know, a neighbor that killed himself in his home. I knew about that when I was in fucking the first grade. Why? Because I was sitting right next to my mom when she was talking about it all on the fucking phone. And I was like, mm-hmm, mm, interesting. Who found him? Mm, like that. 
And that's why sometimes when Bunny wants to watch things like uh, Hoarders, another show that we need to talk about whether or not it's the, the, that the ethics are in a gray area. And also because we watch so many of the episodes, we're like, oh, we know what to do. We know exactly, you know, we're experts now. Um, yeah, this is ingrained to me. And so like a show like Intervention is incredibly soothing to me. Also like, you know, I have a million addicts in my life. I remember when I went to LSU, around LSU is, so LSU is really beautiful. But when I was at LSU, the area directly around LSU was like drug infested, um, not great. And now that I think about it, I went to ODU, ODU as well. Um, same thing over there. And, and they, what they would say is that like, you know, people come to school and drop out of school and end up over there. And I remember saying to someone, cause we were, they wanted me to go. So I was like, listen, I know like 50 crackheads. I don't, I don't need this. I really, and that's the truth. Like I, my, I have addicts all up and through my family. I, you know, I, I, have I, I have told you the story of when I got back from college, I was working at like Food Lion, uh, which is a, uh, a grocery store chain in like Virginia, North Carolina. Um, one time Janelle and, and Barbara were arguing because Janelle wanted to take Jace down to the Food Lion. <laughs> I was working there and I, um, it was night shift. Like drug addicts came in there all the time to steal things because there's a hotel across the street where lots of people lived in the hotel, you know what I mean? And I'm sitting there and it's the middle of the night because I worked overnight shift. It's the middle of the night and I look over and it's Bobo. Bobo used to date my aunt a really long time ago. We used to call him Uncle Bobo. So it's Bobo over there and he recognizes me. He calls me by my middle name, which means you really fucking know me because you knew me when I was a kid and before I was um, comfortable allowing people to just randomly call me princess. I just got to a point in school where I was just like, it doesn't fucking matter what I ask them to call me. They're going to call me princess. So I'm going to stop asking people to stop calling me that. And so, you know, my family name and stuff. So, I mean, so if you like, if I see you in the street and you yell out my family name, you really fucking know me. You know me. And so, you know, so I'm saying hi to him and everything. And I'm like, what's up? What's up, man? And like, and he's like, oh, you know, just out and about. Blah, blah, blah. It's like two o'clock in the fucking morning. So while, but I'm still ringing people up because people come into this food line all the time in the middle of the night. They're like three hours left on my shift. That Leanne Womack, Womack, Womack song, I Hope You Dance, plays eight million times every night. And you know, I'm obviously reading the stars and the inquirers because that's what I have access to. So yeah, like, he goes back. He's like, oh, I got to go shop. So he goes back. And I'm sitting there and I look at the corner of my eye. And Bobo has a cart full of shit and is making a run for the fucking door. Now, here's the thing. I work at Overnight Food Line. I ain't, I ain't chasing nobody. They know that already. Y'all can have all these cigarettes. You can have whatever's in this count, whatever's in this uh, cash register have a couple of Reese's pieces right over there from the candy display, have whatever the fuck you want in here. 
I'm not defending this place. That's it. And my boss was like, yeah, we don't expect you to do that. I was like, good, because I'm not going to. If somebody wants his money, they can have it. So there's no way I would chase after him regardless of who he was. But I was like, yo, Bubba, where are you going? And he's just like, bye, and runs out with all my shit, with all the shit in there. So later, so every time something like that happens, I have to like write a report up. And so I have to write this fucking report where I explain that my aunt's ex-boyfriend from like, what what was I, like 21, 22? So from like 10 years prior, like came in and like robbed the place. So here, I mean, of like, what do you have? He had like chips. He had beer. I I mean, so like when I write the report, I obviously do not note that I know Bobo because what the fuck, who the fuck am I? I've seen Set It Off. I know what happens when you, when they know that you, that you kind of, that you from the same neighborhood as that dude. If you guys have not seen Set It Off, go back. Vivica A. Fox's, it starts off with, um, is it Samuel L. Jackson? I don't know. He's played a lot of drug addicts. Um, a guy from the neighborhood robbing a bank where Vivica Fox works. You know, it's, it's one of those things, you know, how we talk about people who go to, to work in scrubs, you know, making it about the neighborhood or whatever. This is one of those things. She, she lives in the hood. She, she drives to this, she goes to work at this bank every day and goat switches her ass off. When the place got, when the place got robbed, because she recognized him, they assumed she was in on it with him. Unless she didn't get arrested, she got fired. So listen, if it's a movie got Queen Latifah in it, I've seen it. So I've seen Set It Off. And I was like, no, I'm not going to write down that he used to fuck my aunt for a few years. I'm not doing that. So I was just like, I don't know, some some guy came in here and did blah, 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 blah. Why am I talking about that? Oh, I'm just talking about like, like this is, I. <laughs> intervention is not like, it's very comforting to me. And I know there's lots of people who either, one, like dark shit, two, the story structure. If you're someone who's in a procedural, something like an intervention probably appeals to you because the story goes the same way every time or almost the same way every time. There were about three seasons where they did like uh, four or five episodes. I think they did the heroin triangle and one in Philly. There's another one, I think. Anyway, um, And those were interweaved together. Um, so that was a little different. But for the most part, intervention, the format is the format. All that to say, like, I know that I should not be watching this and that it's not, like, in my best interest. And I can acknowledge all the uh, all the ethical concerns. I think the reason why I can tolerate something like this rather than something like a Vanderpump Rules is that for Vanderpump Rules... Everyone's terrible, like really bad people. And me watching it makes them richer and makes them continue to act worse because this is how they get their money. With something like this, me watching it gives money to the the show, the network, you know, production companies and stuff like that, which isn't great. But none of the people on this show went on intervention to become influencers, right? None of the people on this show, like when I watched six, My 600 Pound Life um, and they do the shower scene, which we found out from, I guess, Justin, Stephen 
Asante, Justin Asante, um, Steven's little brother, that when he did an AMA, that like you get paid extra to do the shower scene in my 600 pound life. And lots of these people are fucking poor. Lots of them really need money. And so, you know, what are you going to do? The shower scene. Um, no, but no one goes on that show to be famous. Maybe Steven. I think Steven was like, I think it was good money. And I think Steven was like, yeah, I love being on YouTube. I'll be on this too. I think it was something like that. But what I'm saying is that part of the reason I don't like watching dating shows, which are, the, you know, your ex on the beach and all these other various things is be- your bachelorette. Um, it feels like everyone's just hoping to get on for long enough that they can get enough f- followers to sell flat tummy tea. That's the, that's why I don't want to fucking watch it because here's another side tangent. I was just talking about sister wise, sister wise premiere on Sunday and I watch it. I don't always watch episodes. I sometimes I listen to a couple of different shows that recaps. Obviously Liz is doing it on Liz explains, uh, Kara is a sister wives, uh, correspondent <laughs> as well. Um, there's also surviving sister wives. I mean, there's a lot of, so I, I have plenty of options to listen to it, to listen to what happened without seeing it, but I watched it this season because it's supremely watchable that first episode. So I was tweeting about this. What makes things watchable in reality, unscripted TV is we want to see situations that we've never been in, like physical situations, uh, like being on an island with our ex and having to choose between all these different people, like being naked and afraid, like even Fear Factor. Remember fucking Fear Factor? Who fucking knew Joe Rogan was going to turn into that? I didn't know. I I love news radio. Fucking love. I didn't know Joe Rogan was going to go from there, the Fear Factor, to essentially a huge misinformation campaign every fucking week. But um, we want to see people in situations where we've never been in, like The Biggest Loser, right? Um, most of the people watching that show are not in the same category as those people. And while losing weight is like an American fucking hobby, most people won't be in that. No, most people don't know what it's like to go off and be uh, cloistered and um, working on nothing but losing weight 24 fucking seven. So situations that we aren't used to being physically in. But what we also want, what also makes things something super authentic or super watchable is when they're also talking about feelings that we've all had, we've all experienced, we all have empathy for. So whereas... We definitely want to watch Laguna Beach because most of us are not from the OC. Most of us are not um, rich white kids from the OC, right? We want to know what that's like. However, all of the things, the storylines, the things that have gone through, we knew what that meant. We've all had some bitch try to take our boyfriend or trying to figure out what we're going to do after high school or... Many of us have gone to college and didn't last semester. Like these, these are all things that are um, universal emotions. And when you get both things, a physical situation you are curious about, 
like a material situation you're curious about along with the emotions you can relate to that is amazing fucking tv and if and if you don't believe me think about every amazing unscripted tv television show you've watched it is probably some combination of those it the 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 best ones will be both and this season sister wives that first episode was absolutely one of those things i i had two separate friends tell me that they saw themselves in that episode i disagree but still um and so to bring it back to intervention for someone who for someone who's very comfortable with the addicts in their lives and the drugs and the all that goes along with that a lot of the emotions that are being displayed on screen are exactly things i felt or been privy to but at the same time the i've never lived in an abandoned school bus you know what i mean so yeah honestly that that entire thing was a tangent because what i wanted to talk about is how intervention because intervention works very hard to tell a story for every subject every every star of intervention every subject of an episode they want to tell you a story from about from start to finish about what it's like to what they try to do is they try to humanize the subject right which often works but the problem is is that that i mean this isn't the case here but the problem is a lot of these episodes are like Jill didn't make it on the um, didn't didn't get on the cheerleading team, so she turned to heroin. I'm like, okay, well, so many of these other shows are uh, these other other episodes are like, oh, she was sexually assaulted. Oh, their mother disappeared one night, and never came back, like stuff like that. But because the format is like this, like, I guess what I'm trying to say is that intervention has a very familiar, comforting format, but not every story fits into that format and when it doesn't they have to find they have to be like oh she i don't know she stubbed her toe one time and that led to the drug use and the truth is i don't know there's a lot of factors that lead that contribute to addiction and sometimes it's Sometimes you just don't fucking, there's no, there's no like special thing that happened. And that's hard to like kind of reckon with. Cause there are a lot of people watching this that are like, Oh, how do I prevent this from happening to someone I love? I, I think you can try your best, but I don't know if you could prevent it. That said, that's not the case for Tom and John, John. Like it's very obvious what happened. Um, but the mom talks about her boys the way anyone talks about their kid on intervention. It is a very rare occasion when at the beginning of an intervention episode, you don't have a mother talking about the moments that they laid eyes on that baby and how innocent and beautiful and joyful they were. When there's been a couple episodes where we didn't really get that, and I was like, okay, so we know what happened. Mommy issues. But in this case, um, the mom talks about, her name is Linda. She just talks about how excited she was to have the boys and how they grew up like twins and there's 
adorable pictures of them. There's a picture. I don't know which one it is, but he's a, a very small baby. He's looking right in that fucking camera like like he's meaning to pose. And I was like, oh my goodness, too cute. Um, You know, but uh, essentially what happens is this. Linda and Johnny, their father, um, crack addicts, okay? They live with the grandparents, Pat and Walt. Pat definitely looks like the type of old lady to tell you to get off her fucking lawn. Walt's got way, way grandpa vibes, which makes sense. He is a grandpa, but sort of like a Andy Griffith vibes, if you know what I mean. Um, I just, I expect him to be on some porch somewhere, whittling something. Um, but the boys live with their grandparents as well as their mother and father and the mother and father are out and about at all times of the night and cause they were uh, crack addicts. Okay. And they live like crack addicts, except they lived in Walt and Pat's house. Um, we find out a little bit later cause this, this episode unravels in later and layers. We found out a little later that Pat and Walt had some, uh, some alcohol issues and that their daughter believes, believes they should be called alcoholics. Uh, Walt says, you know, I had some issue with alcohol and I just cut it. I'm like, okay, see guys, my dad, uh, is an alcoholic and I well, both of my fathers are alcoholics. But, um, when I'm talking about my dad and I'm not like specifying bio dad, I'm talking about my stepdad. Um, I don't want to say recovering cause he's not in recovery. Uh, he didn't no 12 steps, no, nothing like that. He comes from a family of alcoholics. His grand, his daddy was an alcoholic and died of alcohol related disease. Um, two of his brothers recently passed also of the same stuff. And my dad stopped drinking when I was a small child. Uh, I'd say eight or nine, because I believe I was eight when I found him. Um, so my parents were partiers. My mom had him when she was 20 years old. My dad was, uh, he wasn't around because he's my stepdad, but he was 19 when I was born. For until last year, I was in my 40s and he's in his 50s. Um, so he, there were part of yours. I would wake up on a Saturday morning and there'd be like smash beer bottles around and, or on a Friday night, there'd be loud noises down because people would be over. I mean, and they'd be passed out till the middle of the morning. And like, they love to tell this story about how this one time it's like maybe six and I, of the children that were in the house, I was the oldest. We were hungry and, I, and nobody was around. And it never, I mean, there everyone was passed out. All the adults were passed out. It never occurred to me like pour a fucking bowl of cereal. I was like, no, I got this, I got this. And I turned on the stove and I made eggs. And I don't think I made the bacon because I was scared of the popping of the bacon. I always helped my dad cook, but I, I was scared of the bacon popping on me. So I didn't even try it. But I made like eggs with full on eggshells in them. I made coffee. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I don't know. And I like tried to make a breakfast for everyone. I burnt that shit up, but I served it up and I burnt myself. 
But I'd been watching also Sesame Street and Sesame Street told me what to do if you burn yourself. So I was handling that. And like when my mom finally woke up, like in the middle of the fucking afternoon, we'd been eating like we'd eaten already. And they think it's a funny story about how like independent I was because I was independent. I was like an independent three year old. I was someone that was like, I got this. I don't get your hands off me. I will do it myself. I have lots of opinions about things and I can handle myself. But what it took me a while in therapy to understand, like I thought that that's just who I was as a person that I was born that way. And she was like, that's not how it works. You were that way because your environment told you to be that way and needed you to be that way. And then even if your environment had told you to be that way, if the adults in your life had been like actually we don't need you like this isn't a thing for you um we make the breakfasts around here and we do the thing and we do the blah 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 and if they had been playing their position there would be no room for me to play that position you know what I mean um and I mean that's something I realized shit five years ago six years ago I really was like no this is just who I am this is I was born this way I was like like as soon as I popped out, this is exactly what I was like. And she was like, unfortunately, no, that's not true. Um, personalities are developed based on environments. And that really like fucked me up for a little while. Cause I was like, oh fuck. Um, all this anxiety, all this, um, need to do it yourself type of stuff. Actually, I didn't, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't have to have this. If someone had just been up to make me the fucking breakfast, if someone had been reliable around me, regardless, this is not a, this is not a, a therapy session. That is a full on tangent. Uh, what I was trying to get to is that the last time I saw my father drunk, I was eight years old and um, it was late at night and I was supposed to, it was, it, there was a lot of noise going on downstairs, but um, it wasn't a party. I couldn't like hear voices and stuff. I haven't heard things breaking though. And I don't know who the, what in the fucking Scooby-Doo, maybe I was nine. I don't know. What in the Scooby-Doo I was fucking doing. I was like, all right, well, let me just go downstairs and like investigate what's going on and handle this, you know, you know, if there's a burglar, I'll handle that or, you know, whatever's going on, a monster, I'll, I'll, I'll do that too. So I get down there and, uh, the pictures on the walls are all fucked up. There's glass on the floor and my dad is on the floor. Um, he's sitting on the floor in the kitchen, the little kitchen and he's crying. So my dad was a sad drunk. Okay. Uh, he, he drink and drink and drink and then suddenly mood down and he would cry so I he's crying and so I go over to him and ask him if he's okay and he's blubbering and he's not super coherent and I'm trying to understand if he's hurt I asked him if he was hurt I like like he's my child I was like what's going on what what do you need and I'm not I can't really like understand what's wrong with him like I'm trying to like think about what I thought then. I think I was well aware he was drunk, but I thought he was hurt. So I just say like, he's trying to talk to me and I'm like, I do not understand what he's saying. And I just go, Hey, you know what? I'm going to go get mama. I'll be right back. I'm going to get mama. She's going to come downstairs. It's going to, we'll work it out. I'm going to, I'll be right back. So I run up the stairs and I wake my mom. I go to her room and we go up and I go, mama, um, you know what I call my dad is downstairs and he's hurt and he needs help. 
And she is so fucking annoyed with me. <laughs> and she's like, ugh, go to bed. And she, so, she, so I go back in my room. And my mom, like, stomps down the stairs. And I hear her yelling at him. And I hear him crying. And I hear her yelling more. And I, basically, she cleans it up. And she's like, go to fucking bed. And um, the next morning, my dad was like, apologized or whatever. But soon after that, the military made him, uh, he detoxed on, on a, like a, he was in Italy on deployment and, uh, he did like, they had a program, but it wasn't like, it's not the 12 steps or anything. It's like a booklet. It's like, don't drink anymore. (laughs) It was something like that. So my dad's, so like a long way to tell you guys, my dad's not in recovery, um, at least not to, that's not how I would describe it. My mother's in recovery. He's not, he stopped drinking then. And actually I, I, I think I've told the story before. Cause I was like, I don't know if he kept drinking. Um, I asked him last year when I was home, like, has he ever like slipped up? And he was like, no, he's like, I, he was explaining that like, um, because in the military, like he, he was going to go to military jail. Like he had to stop drinking. And so it just got to, he was just like, I cannot go to jail. So that, even though he'd been drinking, like he'd been around, like his mother was an alcoholic, his stepmother was an alcoholic, his father was an alcoholic. It was just screaming and yelling and fighting and no money and everyone's drunk all the time. And so lots of his siblings are like, even though he's been like, you know, so, um, he just doesn't and he didn't. And that's, that's it. And I think Walt, when Walt explains it, I'm like, oh, okay, that's what happened with Walt too. It seems like Walt was just like, and I just cut it out. And I'm like, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't have a lot of judgment for that. I mean, it, that doesn't work for a lot of people. <laughs> like cold turkey is, and some, and like, if you, if you've been on, if you've been an alcoholic for a really long time, your body's chemically, like chemically dependent on that alcohol, you can't just stop. You you get to DTs, like you could kill yourself by just stopping drinking. Um, but so that's what Walt's saying. And like Pat, I think Pat still drinks because they don't say that Pat doesn't drink anymore. Um, Pat's in a lot of denial. Pat's got an oxygen tank and is vaping. <laughs> As as the interventionist said, listen, I know you're determined. Look at you. You got you go you on oxygen and you vaping. You do what you want to do. <laughs> yeah, she pretty much does. So grandparents are alcoholics, parents are crack uh, addicts, and the, the the grandparents mostly raise them. Also, there's a lot of domestic violence. Mm. Uh, Dad Johnny, who girl, them pictures of Johnny when he was young, Johnny was smoking fucking hot and in a very much like in a I can appreciate like what Johnny was bringing to the table he was just like a a flannel (laughs) longish hair he was fucking hot okay so um they uh, Johnny used to also like to beat up on Linda like they which is doesn't surprise me two volatile addicts like you know, it, it makes sense. Eventually what happened is 
Linda got sober. She ends up leaving. Like she says the first time one of her kids saw her with a crack pipe in her mouth, she was seven. I mean, they were seven. I think it was Tom was seven and she felt like shit. And, you know, when John John talks, he's like, when growing up, the house always smelled like burn, burning rubber. And now from experience, I know that was crack. Um, when they were like 11 and 12, um, they finally like, uh, Linda left. She got sober, but how she did that was she left, which is devastating right imagine being like because 11 and 12 is very like is yeah, i mean you there's a lot you understand in fact i've been listening to this adoption and trauma informed like care book and she said something the narr the person who wrote it the narrator or whatever said something i was like oh yeah i i keep forgetting that that like what they fucking call it not diversion, delineation. They're like 13, 14 is about when you want to separate. It starts with a D, but it means separate from your, differentiate, differentiate. Girl, don't make me try to say that again. Um, When that's when, that's when they're going through that stage and that, so this particular um, therapist, author, and she's also an adoptive parent. She grew up in an adoptive family. Like she has a lot of experience. She was saying that, she recommends that every child know every detail, not age appropriate details, but like a very good outline of their life story, adoption story and all that before they are 11 or 12 years old. Because by the time the kids try to age appropriately separate, they're going through state uh, developmental stage where they're separating from you is not the time to also be like dropping these bombs on them. And, um, like you don't have to know all the nitty nitty gritty details. You don't have to be like, well, then they found, they found her in the, in the trap house passed out and with you and a baby next to her. And she was selling her body. I mean, that is a storyline from queen sugar, by the way, that they found Darla, um, she had taken the baby and she was in New Orleans and she was like living in a trap house, selling her body, uh, for drugs in the trap house with the baby. And like he, when they found her, she, she could barely move and she was just laying there, letting people take advantage of her and they throw money at the, and the baby was all, like, it was, a, <laughs> I don't know who wrote that, but I was like, okay, okay, that's enough. Don't. I don't want to think about little blue in this. Anyway, um, this isn't the thing that you need to like, we don't need to give, we don't, we don't need to do all that, but people should know about addictions and people should know about, um, you know, basically their own story by then. And, uh, she also says, which I, so I like to read these, these, these parenting books, these, um, um, trauma theory books and people always ask me like, how do you know the stuff you know? Well, I read a lot and I take what's useful and leave the rest. I try things and if it, it works out for me, I I'm like, okay, keep doing that. It's like when you get a recipe off the fucking internet and you're like, oh, okay. I saw somebody doing this on TikTok. I want to make this. But then you look at it and it's got like six pounds of onions in it, and you're like, I don't want onions that much. So this is what happened with Kylie Jenner's recipe and Carol was like, 
basically harassing me about the onions in it. I was like, girl, I don't even know how many onions they said to put in there. She said, put some onions. And I put as many onions as I personally wanted. They said, put some fucking uh, cilantro. And I put as much cilantro as I want. I didn't see this. I wasn't like two teaspoons. I was just like, whatever. Onions, cilantro. I'll do that. And, but we all like fuck with rest. We all try it. I don't like this. And this didn't work. Let me try this. And then if you get it, if it works for you, you keep the recipe. If not, you delete the shit off your fucking phone. And that's how I feel about a lot of like parenting advice, a lot of information I get about trauma and stuff. And, and I want to hear about everything and, and, but I don't have to carry anything that's not useful to me. And so when I was listening to it and she was talking about, she said something that was like, well, she said a lot of things. I was like, okay, we're on the same page. So I feel like I can learn more from you. But she said, do not tell people, do not tell people that, or children, adopted children, that their drug addict parents were sick. Because, especially younger children, it's very, like, it's it's hard. Especially especially in foster care where things are temporary, right? So they some of them have been in many homes. And they keep hearing that their first parents, their bio parents were sick, 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 sick. And the next thing you know, you've got a little sneeze and they're very worried about you. Because what if they have to move again? What if something happens? What if you die like their dad died? Like, and... And I was listening to it, I was like, yeah, that's absolutely true. I don't like to say, I like to say, I don't like to say no, no places. I like to say vagina. I don't like to say booty. I like to say like, butt. I like to like call things what they are. And so I don't like to tell my kids that um, being a drug addict is being sick, even though like I do understand why people like to use that word and stuff, but I'm talking to them. I want to be specific and I want to be careful with my words because one, they do like try to think of things and try to figure things out on their own and just tell themselves stories and like believe them. Um, Monkey, I was putting lotion on Bear Bear and Monkey um, after like various showers and I was, you know, I was complimenting Bear Bear. Like, first of all, I compliment them all. I'm like, oh, your skin's so soft, You, you know. I want them to understand that like 90% of being like good looking is being well-groomed and soft skinned. <laughs> so I was talking about that. And I was telling people, I was like, your skin's so soft. And Monkey's like, yeah, cause he's white. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, he's got white skin. And I was like, well, he's not white. His skin is fair, but he's not white. And also that doesn't have anything to do. You know, Monkey's the one that's like very concerned with trying to get me to like trip me up to get to admit that he's black he's not black and because we are similar shades of color but that's race is difficult it's hard it's complicated and so but I can tell he's thinking about it a lot because we're just sitting there he's like yeah his skin's soft because he's white and I was like what and who told you that and he's like me I told myself that and if I this is another reason why I talk about like talking to them. If I hadn't been like talking to them and listening to what they were saying back to me, like who knows how long I would have had to figure it out that monkey thinks that bear bear white skin is holding some sort of superpower. Now it is, it's called white privilege, but, <laughs> but, 
Um, that's a little more complicated and I'm not ready to talk about that yet. Um, that happened like maybe six, seven months ago, maybe I can't remember. But the other day me and Bear Bear are doing something. He's like, everybody at school thinks I'm white. And then monkey's there and he, he just kind of pops his head and he almost like, he almost like Nathan from T mama when, when Nathan pops his head and goes, stop it. Monkey pops his head and goes, that's racist. And walks off. <laughs> um, I was like, I don't know where he got that from. I don't know where he got that from. It's the first time I've heard him say something like that. Anyway, I was like, that's, it is racist. I mean, a lot of things are racist, but that's not overtly racist. It's more of like background marinating in the racism type of thing. But, you know, I tried to explain it as best I could to a five and a six year old. Um, Anyway, I'm super off topic. So, but the reason I was bringing that up is that 11 and 12 is like, you know, these, you're very clear about what's going on. It's, you can take a lot of information and, but they're formative years. You're about to hit that. I think it's differentiation. I think that's what, what she's differentiation. Um, and you're about to hit that point where you're now trying to separate yourself. You're trying to find who you are outside of your caregivers and it can be a dangerous time especially when your mother just left you know the grandparents are like oh they didn't really know they didn't really care I'm like you guys just because they didn't cry or this just because they didn't come and ask you to go get their mom does not mean that's what happened um kids be very quiet about traumatic events that are happening around them. So Walt owns a tree service, right? Business. He started in 1960. He started with like a station wagon and a chainsaw and grew into like a thriving business of tree services. And, um, he retired. I'm assuming there was some sort of injury because I don't, Walt doesn't seem like the type that would have retired if he didn't have to. And left the business to his son, Johnny and Tom, who's just turned 18. And John, John is like 16, 17 years old. Uh, neither one of them graduated high school. They went straight to owning that bit to working in that business, climbing trees and things like things like that. Apparently, immediately the business went under. Uh, Walt and Pat later are talking to Donna, who's the interventionist on this episode. And I'll talk more about her soon. Um, they're talking about how, He's like, yeah, within like a couple of months, uh, this industrial wood chipper is, is was quote unquote stolen and the chainsaws are missing and da, da, da. Yeah. And at this point, like Pat won't know that Johnny is a crack addict. In fact, Pat always says, um, that she wishes Johnny is stuck to crack because at least he went to work and Donna has to be like, come on, uh, you left a business to a crack addict. Like, don't. Don't, don't act like you don't know. Um, and at this point, by this point, they're starting to do heroin. John, John, and Tom. Um, John, John's like 16, 17. Tom's 18. They don't say. I assume they started doing heroin with their dad, who, who the crack addict who had started doing. Apparently he had several surgeries and, um, he got on uh, opiates, uh, pain medication, and 
this is a common story is that you get hooked to that. They cut off the prescription. You, you buy the, you buy them black market off the, off the street, but heroin's and and then once they start cracking down on these over prescriptions and stuff, you really couldn't get the shit anywhere. And heroin's much cheaper. In fact, watching this episode, they were talking about how heroin's like $3 a bag. And I do understand like, um, that most people are not shooting one bag. I understand that it's like, it's, you need to like, uh, Johnny says that he's like doing 13 bags a day. Um, I think John, John said something was doing more, but like, I get it. I get that one bag is for an addict. An active addict is probably not enough, but three heroin sounds cheap. Like I was very shocked at the prices. Um, so John, John and Tom, you know, they lived on the street of Pat streets of Patterson, um, which they call a junkie wonderland, by the way, junkie's not a nice word, by the way. Um, so I never watched dope stick on Hulu. And the reason I didn't watch it is because it didn't have great reviews and it seemed, I just didn't feel like watching it. I thought I might get around to it, but I used the Libby app. It's an app for your library card and you can get audiobooks there for free. Um, and I just hit audiobook and I put availability. Um, it works with your library card. So you have to have a library card, but library cards are free in the city you live in. I mean, um, and I am a fool who every, I haven't been to New York in a while, so maybe mine's gone now, but every time I go back to New York, I renew my New York City library card so I can still borrow books. So I have my Austin library card and I have my New York City library. Anyway, I, what I do is I uh, toggle the avail, I make it available now and audiobook. So I can just download the book right away. And Dope Sick was done. And I was like, oh, I didn't realize it was based on a book. And I like the book a lot. The book is more of a, it's, it's like long form, long form journalism. It was really enjoyable. But then again, keep in mind, I like that dry ass shit sometimes. Like I listened to that Catherine the Great book that I was listening to three, four times. I just kept starting it over because, you know, I'm doing things and like I miss chapters and I just, and I listen to Dope Sick twice. And, you know, what's nice about that book is because it's narrative journalism, they are obviously, there's a lot of um, very specific facts and figures and understanding of the, uh, Jesus Christ, I just forgot their name. What's the name of the family behind Oxy? Fuck, is it Purdue? No, that's the chicken people. I just gonna kill me. I gotta look it up. Be right back. Back. So stupid. Sackler. <laughs> um, but, Although I understood the general fleshed out idea of what the Sackler family and um, the company is called Purdue Pharma. Um, I really enjoyed the in-depth, like uh, the business part of it. I really enjoyed that part. Um, but this is someone who like one of their hobbies is like reading about Enron, you know, like I, I, I really enjoyed that part. I enjoyed the court cases, the descriptions of the court cases and, you know, all the details of that. But they also, she, 
I think it's a she, interwove um, details of very specific people, um, dealers, addicts, um, mothers who lost their children. Um, you know, it was, it, and, and it was the culmination of years and years and years of reporting on this. I believe in Roanoke, Virginia. But, so it was all very interesting. Anyway, the reason I bring this up is the word junkie is not a nice word, right? This is, this is, not, a, this is not a nice thing to call someone. You probably shouldn't be using it. But I never knew the origins of it. And that's like one of the things, like this book uh, goes all the way back to like when, um, was it World War II? When they were pre- prescribing soldiers morphine and saying it was not addictive and how they came back with these addictions. So on the, on the battlefields, they come up with these addictions and how you would know who was addicted to morphine because they have these like, um, um, packs they wore around their neck with the morphine and the, and the needles and the things in it. And it was just like open. And so they're explaining about how people come back from war addicted to it. Your family doctor would be prescribing it to you, but people would get, um, the word junkie comes from how people would start junking um, like objects, like uh, you know how people steal copper wiring now and they still, like that. They would be doing that to get the money for it. Um, she talked about the outbreak of Oxy in Appalachia and like just, anyway, I'm talking too much about it, but the book is really good. I'm probably still not gonna watch the series. I do not want, I feel like it's gonna let me down or the limited series, those like don't let me down. That book was really good though. So if you can tolerate dry stuff and sometimes even like it, cause I do, I love working towards an audio book. That's like, like I listen to, um, let's see, uh, the one with the bad hair drop out. I listen to that audiobook over and over again. Like the stuff, the stuff can be really good. Anyway, that's enough of princess's audiobook corner. So Tom says Patterson is a junkie's wonderland. Um, they, they, the, the boys are down there stealing, panhandling, robbing people, and also like being middlemen and selling drugs. So when they were down there, Walt and Pat says that Johnny went down to kind of like get them out because they're living homeless. They're in this, they're, um, in the garage of an abandoned house because it's easier to heat there and stuff. And they say that when Johnny went down there, he got stuck down there with them. Throughout the episode, Johnny's like, you know, I'm just down here for my boys. We, we stick together. We stick together. I want to like poke at that because the thing is, I think Johnny's down there to get high. Like, cause he is, he's using with them and everything like, you're living in an abandoned building with the, with you, with one son. The other one kind of goes off and does this thing. Um, getting high with them. And you want me to believe the only reason you're down there is because you were trying to get them out? I don't know, man. I would like to dispute that story. So...
they're, they're not alone in that garage. They, there's also Tom's feet, quote unquote, fiance. Um, I believe her name is Christina and you know, she does what young women do when they don't have any money. She, uh, does sex work on the street of Patterson in the, in the broad daylight. Um, like she goes to a car and comes back, things like that. John John also has a girlfriend named Jotty. She does the same thing. Um, the family is very bonded. Like there's a lot of shooting up in the neck, which scares the fuck out of me. Um, just because it, it seems incredibly dangerous to me. I mean, I'm shooting up dangerous guys. <laughs> obviously I'm like oh do it safely but you understand what I'm trying to say like um there's more risk in those veins and stuff but they're very bonded they're shooting each other up in the neck like they're talking there's blood coming all down their necks I'm like you guys look like very strange vampires um you know um That we watched them panhandle. John John talks about oh, how um, they call it hustling, how degrading it is. I, I had to panhandle one time. Well, I didn't have to panhandle. What happened is that I was leaving a city and in distress, and I had a bus ticket waiting for me at the Greyhound, but I did not have a a way to catch the city bus to the Greyhound. And so at the bus stop, I had to ask people. If I could like, I mean, I think, I think it was like two and a quarter or something like that. And I had to be like, or maybe it was 175. I don't know, but I had to get that small amount of money. And it only took me asking two people because like, I have my bags. It's obvious, like I don't come off as a homeless person or an addict. So like, although they were annoyed with me, they were like, here, here's a dollar. But just having to ask those two people was incredibly hard on me. And I'm imagining having all day, you have to swallow your pride, stand out there and ask people for 50 cents a quarter, anything. Um, while we watch him do that, his friend actually comes over and he gets a, and his friends like telling him they can do, I don't know what drug he said he was going to do, but they ended up getting meth for like, it was discounted. It was like a $20, um, amount of meth for like $3 and 75 cents. And I was like, damn, that's a good deal. Shit. <laughs> That's a fucking good deal. They go to get high at the magic school bus, which is an abandoned bus that is full of addicts. Um, that just kind of hang out in there and Tom is broken off the mirror to shoot up in his neck. I think that's all he has left. Um, they're talking about is it good? And one of them is like, Is it overdose good? Which is dark, but it's true, like somebody overdoses i mean you've seen the wire you know so people overdose on some shit though everybody wants some after that um they do have phones they're flip phones but they do have phones and pat calls johnny on his flip phone and asks to come will he come up uh they live in new york um i i just i wrote down the city somewhere but so he takes the train to go see them and you know, they're fucking delusional. Like, and I want you to know that when I say they're fucking delusional, I'm not like, and I would never be disillusioned. That's not fucking true. Um, I will never give up on my kids. Now I'll have to set fucking boundaries, right? You can't live with me cause you still, um, I can't have drugs in my house cause I need peace in my home. But I fucking know that I'm always going to be fucking happy to see them. And I'm going to be showing up being like, 
meet me at this IHOP and I'll buy you something to eat and spend time with them and like I'm giving out cigs. Like I know, I fucking know I will. I can't see myself giving anyone money because it's just not who I fucking am, guys. You guys know me. This is not what I do. I don't be giving out money. But <laughs> I can see myself like picking up long johns from Walmart and trying to make sure they have they they can get they they have warm clothes for the winter or like picking up going to fucking jack in a box and dropping it off at their house. I can see myself doing that's a, exactly the sort of thing I would do. Um so I don't want to be like I'm so much better than Walt and Pat, but those bitches are delusional. They are so much like again, Pat's like when he was doing crack, it was fine. Like, no, it wasn't fine, babe. It wasn't fine. He was functional, but it wasn't fine. Apparently, like, I mean, he's a he was a long term crack addict too. Um, you know, he takes he takes a shower there and changes clothes and they give him money. The way they're talking is if Johnny's fine, but it's John, John, and Tom that need an intervention. I'm like, Johnny, you gotta know that it's intervention. Well, first of all, you all know it's intervention. There's, we're we're 19 seasons in at this point. I mean, at this and right now, present day, 2022, I think they're 22, 23 seasons in. It's like you know, you know, it's intervention. Don't don't play with me, but. It was just such a delusional conversation in which they're like, yeah, we got to get him help. We got to get him help. I'm like, yeah, him too. Him too. This is the first time we see Sean, which is Johnny's nephew, his sister, Christine, Christy's son. Um, Christy is the only one in this family that seems like she doesn't have an addiction. That said, I'm sh- I'm sure there's something going on with her. Um, dark that maybe he's not ready for the screen. She says that growing up, uh, her parents, Johnny was the light of their life. Johnny was a part, big part of the business. Johnny was the person that climbed the trees to do things. So that's another thing they would enable him because the business had to run with, it needed him to run. So if you don't give me money, I won't, I won't not going to work tomorrow, which means you can't do the job tomorrow. You know, shit like that. And she's the one that tells us that Walt and Pat were alcoholics. But Sean is the cousin, nephew, and Sean's got a year sober. Or so he says, I don't believe him. I'll tell you why. Well, first of all, addicts lie, especially about whether or not they're sober. And if you think about it, it makes sense because that's because when you are a known addict and even like that's all people ask you about. And it's really hard to admit when you relapse, although relapsing is a part of sobriety. Um, people say that all the time, like the relapse is a part of it, like people relapse. But I know I'd be embarrassed to tell people that. He's lying though. I'll get to it. Um, He tells again, a story that I saw on Dope Sick. I heard in Dope Sick and that, I mean, obviously it's a narrative that's been around like if you if you pay any attention to the news and to like these types of things, but um, again, people being prescribed. Uh, he had a skateboarding accident. People being prescribed um, morphine derived uh, medication, um, and 
being able to get that very easily, like it's being overprescribed, and then the doctor cuts you off because it becomes like they up the control is the controlled substance, and they or they up the like uh, the regulations and you know limitations of it, and then you can't get any of it, and you're buying it off the street, and then eventually you're you the the you're gonna end up in heroin because it's cheaper and and more readily available. Um, but what Sean tells us is that he'd been buying the pills off the street once he couldn't get any more from his doctor and that he had asked Johnny if he knew where he could buy some and Johnny had taken him into Patterson and they couldn't find any, but they found heroin. And the first time he did heroin was with the boys and Johnny, um, out on the streets. And the last time he did heroin was with the boys and Johnny a year ago while he'd been living on the streets with them for a few weeks. Now, Christy says she doesn't blame her brother. And, I, and I'm and i like, I'm glad you don't blame him. Um, it's tragic, right? You know, it's absolute tragic, tragedy. But I'm glad you don't blame him because Sean was going to get to heroin regardless. He, he just was. Um... So, one thing I want to point out, Walt, I put this note down about Walt and Pat, is that, what do they say? If you do not raise your own children, you will end up raising their children. There are, um, <clears throat> the crack epidemic did, did that, and let me, I'm, I'm saying that, let me clean it up. Because I don't necessarily believe it's not that you didn't raise your own children. But plenty of people ended up raising their grandchildren due to the crack epidemic. What does uh, XD always say about the 80s and and 90s? People didn't, like, black people born in the 80s and 90s didn't have fathers because of crack. That's, whenever, whenever he says something like, and then, you know, I never, my dad wasn't around, he'd be like, because of crack. Because that's. It's true. Crack was so like in the um, black community, it was so like prevalent, um, which is why, you know, it draws all these comparisons, like what crack did to the black communities. Um, is similar to what's going on with young impression, young, beautiful white women with heroin right now. Except it's being treated differently, you know. These are suburban kids. These are, you know. Anyway, I, you, you, you don't need me to. You, you, let me get off my soapbox. You guys, you guys already know what I'm saying here. Um, but because of the ways they didn't set boundaries and they enabled Johnny, is the entire reason they had to raise John, John, and Tom. And now John, John, and Tom feels like never had a fucking shot. Parents are crack addicts. Grandparents are alcoholics. Um, lots of enabling and delusional stuff happening in the house. Um, the only person that's set any kind of boundary is the aunt, but they actually don't want the aunt at the inter- in, at the intervention because apparently there's been some drama because I guess Johnny or John, John and Tom came to the area not too long ago and she wouldn't let them in the house because they were high or you know you know everyone blames her for that 
I'm like, I mean, she's setting a fucking boundary. Like, yeah, those are your, those are your grandkids and your niece and, and your nephew, excuse me. But like, they're also homeless drug addicts. And I, I don't blame her for, for being like, I don't want you in my house. But I also think that she had barred them from Pat and Walt's house. And that's what they're really, really mad about. Cause we're allowed to go. I don't know. Um, so guys, Donna's the interventionist on this one. And I don't always love Donna. She's not my favorite, but she, I think she did really well here. And she made some decisions that I was like, yeah, I feel like that's the right one to make. Not the one that you guys think I'll, I'll get there. But a lot of the stuff I'm fine. I'm just talking about right now. We found out when Donna went to interview Walt and Pat. And at one point. You know, she's trying to just get the lay of the land. Um, Donna is trying to find out about domestic violence that happened between uh, Linda and Johnny, right? And Pat's like, well, you know, uh, they would fight and Johnny would throw her in the air and do a suplex on her. And like, <laughs> and, and Donna's like, yeah, that's, that's domestic violence and past like, oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. 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 Beating up the, your wife in front of your children. That is domestic violence. I mean, not where I come from. I mean, sometimes a mouthy broad needs to get that. She didn't say any of that, but that's, 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 that's the impression. I was like, yeah, you said there's no domestic violence. Then you literally define domestic violence. <laughs> yeah. That's what it was. Um, we do get a chance. So this episode's a little longer. It's an hour. And I watched it on um, Amazon because I did a Discovery Plus like free trial because I didn't feel like I, I wanted to watch it on my TV and I didn't feel like going to A&E.com watching it on my TV. Um, don't worry. I've set a reminder. I will unsubscribe. And I, I don't want Discovery Plus, so I don't give a fuck. Um, so, but it gave a runtime of like an hour and a half. So that means it was probably two hours with commercials. Part of the reason it's such a long episode is because there's so many people we're dealing with, but also because they do things like we follow Linda as she drives around Patterson. Her friend drives around Patterson looking for the boys. She likes to keep in contact with them. And if they don't call her within a couple of days, she likes to go and look for them. Now, it took me, I was confused here. So let me explain what I was confused about. She's driving all around Patterson and can't find them. Um, also, oh, a white woman driving around in a car and Patterson, everyone's trying to sell her drugs. She's like, no, no. And we'll get back to that. But um, then she's like, let's go to the bando, which <laughs> it is, a bando is an abandoned house which people use for drugs. Like it's a trap house, right? You use it for drugs, you sell drugs out of it, you cook drugs in it. Um, and then people use drugs in it. It could be all those types of things. It's a trap house. Um, but the fact is, <laughs> let's go to the bando. I was like, the boys told her that. They call it that. And then, and they got it from some black person. Another street person that's where they got that slang from. Um, and then at the time I was like, what the fuck? Why didn't you go to the bando to start with? They live in the bando. But what I realized is that, 
and I didn't realize this at first, is that Johnny and Tom and Tom's fiance live in the abandoned house. John John visits the abandoned house, but he's out in the streets all the time. And that she says he's a little more freer, he's a little more wild, and I'm worried more about him. So, you know, she goes to the bando. <laughs> I cannot, I can't take it. Um, when she knocks on the little uh, boarded up door that they're using, Tommy starts clapping and goes, Mommy! And I was like, oh my God, that, I wasn't expecting that. The fiance is there. She says she likes it when Linda, Linda comes because it's, it's always good to get food, which was such like a, a sad thing to hear. Um, cause she does, she brings like, like sandwiches or fast food or whatever. Um, she, you know, she's just, she's absolutely a mom in there. She leaves like a few cigarettes on the, she brings candles so that they can see at nine and, and food and like supplies. And she leaves like a little handful of cigarettes on the table. She goes, I'm leaving six here. If John John comes by, make sure you share. It's like, oh God. She says that like she gave Tom, Tom some fucking graham crackers and was like, if your brother comes in from the pool, make sure he gets some. It was, it, it, it was wild. And also like, yeah, I, I, yeah. Um, So, I'm just going through my notes. I'm seeing stuff about Sean, and I've already talked to you about Sean and about how Johnny got him heroin for the first time. Um, we see John John. He has a friend he plays middleman for who comes down. And he's getting a brick, which is, I think it's 100 bags of heroin. But don't get me talking like I know what the fuck I'm talking about. Um, but he wants, to, so what, he's playing middleman. He's going to, the guy's going to come down, pick him up. He's going to go to the dealer and do all this stuff. Um, when he comes back, I mean, obviously the guy doesn't want to be on TV. He's like, oh, you want, you don't want to be on camera. And the guy's like, no, I want to go get high. <laughs> so when he comes back, um, John, John tells us he was very close to robbing that guy. Um, yeah. And that he got $10 for his troubles along with some drugs. Anyway, it all totaled up to about $40 worth of stuff. And again, I am very shocked at how little heroin cost. Um, I guess, like, what he was going to rob him for was $160, which was for the brick, I guess. Um, And I again, I understand that, like, the bags are, are, are not, heroin is cheap, period, right? But the bag, which is why people get really addicted to it. And, but the bags are cheap. But once you build up a tolerance, you're doing mini bags. I understand that. Um, I'm just like, wow, this is a discount. Should I start doing heroin? <laughs> no, I shouldn't. <laughs> um, and this is where we find out that Linda's been using heroin. Same story as everyone else's. She had the pills. She couldn't get any more of the pills. She got the pills they were prescribed to her. Um, from a back injury, uh, she got cut off from the script and now she's on heroin. The kids don't know yet, but she's 10 years sober from crack and has been on heroin for nine months, which makes 
a lot of what she's saying even more like, okay, well, her kids have most definitely been on heroin and, and homeless for more than nine months because Sean last uses them a year ago. So like, what does Crystal say all the time? Stop trying to add sense. Stop trying to make sense out of some shit that don't, that wasn't made from sense. You know what I mean? Like you're trying to find sense where there is none. And another way to say that is stop trying to logic some illogical shit. And like, so obviously I'm sitting here going, oh my God, your kids have been like homeless and in the, the throes of fucking heroin for years. And nine months ago, you start to, you decided to start using heroin. But there is no logic to that. There's no logic to any of this. And me sitting here trying to be like, well, if, if A is, if A, then B, then C, like I'm going down the wrong road. I'm the crazy person here because I'm sitting here trying to force logic into something. Um, so we're at the pre-intervention with Donna. Linda, Pat, and Christy are all in the same room. And Sean says that doesn't happen. They haven't been in the same room for five years because they argue all the time. Um, likely, it, it just, it seems obvious that Christy uh, is unhappy with Pat and Pat's enabling and that sort of thing. And also, Pat loves her Johnny. And as we just established, she was like, Sometimes you need to beat Linda up because that's what happens. So I'm sure I, they don't get along. That's what it is. Um, I also want to go back to the to the tree business. That tree business imploding was really fucking hard on everybody because it was a source of pride for Walt. Walt started it, ran it, grew it, made it something. His son worked there. His grandsons work there. I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if other family members work there and you've made it into something. And like for John, John and Tom, it's such a source of pride. Like they dropped out of school to just go work there. It's been, they've been, they, it's been a source of pride since they were very, very small. And so now, so when that imploded, when he gave the reins to his crack addict son and imploded, and they also mentioned selling a house of some sort. So I, you know, um, Walt and Pat are in a small house. It seems fine, you know what I mean? I've seen a million of those houses, but I don't think it's where they raised the kids. So they don't really talk about that, but between, but Linda says that between the selling of the house and the implosion of the business, it really affected everyone. And I don't think I was clear enough about that, how much. So here's the thing. I've been thinking more and more like Walt was talking about how it was a legacy he left for his family. And I'm like, if I could have a legacy, if I could have like a business that I could hand my children, I would, I would. I mean, I make sure that they were, they knew they were competent, but I would hand it to them because when we talk about generational wealth, this is the type of shit we're talking about. We're talking about land ownership. We're talking about business ownership we're talking about things that certain classes of people take for granted right this is just this is these are normal things but the difference between poverty 
and middle class is sometimes something like this, a business that was handed down to you, a home you can inherit. And the more I think about that, the more I'm like, I can imagine being Walt building this shit from the fucking ground up for whatever reason and then giving it to the loves of your life, your son and your grandkids and finding out and it just poof gone. Like your life's work, poof gone. It sounds terrible. I think Donna did a really good job of getting Walt and Pat to understand that. And and even our saying, I'm not blaming you, but your addictions are the basis for everyone else's because as we know you know you're like you're eight times more likely or something to be an addict if you if one of your parents is or it's something not that I totally trust this ah, statistics because you can make numbers say and do what you want but like yeah like it's important to understand that like what you did affected them and it put cracks in the foundation that allowed this to get in um, and all of them know they can work Pat cause she, you know, she's so sad and she cries about it. And so we need to be on the same page. She also recommends family therapy. Obviously they really need to go to fucking family therapy. Linda and so Linda, the mom and, uh, the boy's mom. And Sean, the cousin, goes smoke a cigarette because they're both like antsy. And why they're why are they antsy? Because they both want to get high. And Sean, like, we catch Sean on a hot mic now. Obviously, they they've got footage, but like footage through a window, which and I understand that they aren't listening in real time all the time, and it's possible that that. The cameraman was doing this, but also like was unaware of what was being said. But while they're out there talking, like Linda's openly, Linda wants to get high. And Sean's asking her for a rig or a spike. Well, he's asking her for a needle. Um, so obviously, like there's some, there's some question uh, like on the message boards after this is whether or not. Well, no, no, no. I'll get to that part. Let me let me not talk about that now. So David Intervention, Linda admits to using heroin to the family members. And Dana says, you know, they're offering her rehab as well. Um, she And she suggests that she go to rehab, focus on herself and no contact. But they can't find the boys. And Linda's like, oh, I can find them. And Donna says no to Linda. And my guess is she says no to Linda because Linda has agreed to go to rehab and she doesn't want to take Linda out to Patterson and do all this and like lose Linda. I, I'm only assuming. Instead, she asked Sean. So Sean rides with her, and again, remember, according to him, the last time he got high was down there, where he's where he's going. He knows all the spots where they panhandle, where they hang out. Um, gosh, Sean goes into a store and calls someone brother, and I was like, please stop, please stop. I hate, and not that brother is like the worst offender, but the way he's saying it is not in a Hulk Hogan way. He didn't say brother. He said brother. And I think he like, I hate when non-black people use AAVE with me 
because often they're using it incorrectly or they're being, um, I don't know, really stereotypical with it. Like, I don't need you, like, everything's fine. We're, we're talking, we're at work, we're talking about work stuff. And then you turn to me and like, ain't that right, sister? Mm-hmm. And shake your neck at me. What, why, why would you be doing that? And it's taken a while, but I've gotten better about this, about being like, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? What does that mean? And people have said, oh, you don't know what it means? And I've, I'm like, you know, I know what it means. Do you know what it means? Who's Felicia? I know who Felicia is. But you said bye Felicia 40 times in the last 20 minutes. So I'd like you to explain yourself. And usually people, once they have to like, be like, well, I was shaking my neck at you because isn't that what black women do? Like once you have to say something like that, people usually stop. But I don't know. I just cringed at the, hey, brother, you see this? I'm like, man, okay. Um, just ask me your question. Um, Sean also ran up on this chick that he was like, do you know the guy? And she's like, yeah, I know him. I know him. She's like, have you seen Johnny? And she's like, Johnny's my ex. So no, I'm not going to be seeing him. But as Sean's trying to get away, she's like, you got 50 cents? I... Sean admits to Donna while they're riding through like that. He's getting cravings like this, like being where he used to do his thing. He's getting cravings. And Donna's like, yeah, I understand. I understand. I really, I don't know if I appreciate it as much. The last time I saw Donna's intervention is, but she is. She seems like someone you can tell I'm having cravings too. You know what I mean? And she's not like, What? How dare you? She's like, yeah, I get it. When you go down to the place where you do did what you do, you know, do your thing, it, it comes at you. Now, a lot of people are upset at Donna because Donna brought Sean down there. But I'm going to say this. Up until this moment, as far as Donna knows, he's been sober a year. Now, is a year a long time of sober time? Yes and no. You know, One of the things I have to like accept with my parents, even they're in their sixties now, they both have like a lot, a lot of like sober time. Um, they have a very like specific life. They are like self care with themselves. And my mom's in recovery and she's like always working her steps. And she's always like, she's a part of her community. And like, she's with like-minded people. She works a job where she is working sometimes with addicts and she, she is fine to go to meetings in the middle of the day. She is fine to like, self-identify she doesn't have to hide shit she's like they are as stable as I can possibly think right but one of the things I've had to always accept is that like you can have 22 years you can have 25 years and it could be gone in a day and when you think about that people who have people who have 17 25 years relapsing year ain't shit it ain't shit so if so I understand that part and a lot of people that had something bad that were like this was irresponsible or like a year is nothing and you're taking him right back to where he first started doing heroin but I understand 
that he said he could. He said he would, and he said that he was sober. So let's get to it. So they find Johnny first. They find Johnny in the parking lot. He thinks he's going to go help intervene on the boys. Um, He had just gotten his shit. He was like, I'm just got, I'm going to get well. When they picked him up. So when they get back to the place where they're holding the intervention, he goes to get high in the bathroom with Sean. Sean's helping him. I guess we saw Tom shooting him in the neck. I think he needs help to do that. And he needs to do it there. So Sean's helping him. And while in the bathroom, we find out later that Sean, that Johnny gave Sean a bag of heroin. And they don't say whether Sean asked for it or whatever, but obviously Sean asked for it. Like, of course, he's asking, he's asking Linda for uh, a rig. Um, and he got high in there off a bag. So know that he's high when the boy's intervention starts. Anyway, they intervene on, on Johnny. He decides to go. After that, they find the boys, John, John, and Tom. John, John goes first. He agrees to go. And when Tom comes, he agrees to, and they also offer it to his fiance, which is like, he was about to use that as a reason he couldn't go. And she, and Donna's like, ha, gotcha. She's going too. So, They end up, so at this point we've got John, John, Tom, Linda, Johnny, and Christine. Christina, I think her name's Christina. Five. And they're all going to separate places, obviously, because most people recommend that you don't go to rehab with someone you're using with or even someone you have an intimate relationship with or someone that you know very well. Um, That's most of them recommend that. I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm not saying it's not possible. Like, I feel like when we talk about addiction and we talk about recovery, we, we act as if there's like one way to do it, right? You need to do it. You need to not get any, like, like we all saw, uh, what the fuck is that movie with, um, with Sandra Bullock? You know what I'm talking about? I'm about to, I'm, I gotta look it up because I, this is going to kill me. It is the same name as, a. Uh, Sandra Bullock, alcoholic. Somebody screaming it into the 28 days. And it's the same name as like 28 day, eight days later is a, is a horror movie. Anyway, we all saw 28 days. We all see these th- depictions of addiction in media and can get very rigid about like, well, you have to do this. You have to do, even people who are actively in the addiction community or who work in the addiction industry can be very like, blah, blah, blah. That's another thing that I really enjoyed about Dope Sick when they talked a lot about um, how harm reduction services, there is so much controversy over them and specifically about Suboxone and uh they didn't say methadone, did they? I don't know. She they they were they were just very they were talking about how um it's just very controversial. Um in terms like lots of rehab facilities don't allow you to do use harm reduction drugs. Um I call it something else. It was more it was a better term for it. But um how like many drug courts don't let you, how like but 
even if you're on these uh, harm reduction drugs for um, years, and some of the the cases in the book were on there for like a decade or so, um, it's still better than being an active addiction for heroin. Anyway, um, what is it? Oh, I'm, I'm talking about how there are lots of ways to skin a cat. There are lots of fucking ways. And some things work for people. Some people, um, some people can smoke weed and not use their drug of choice. Some people need abstinence. Some people, like there are lots of different ways to do this. And one thing I remind myself is that what works for one person might not work for another person. And everyone's just trying to get, everyone's just trying to do the best they can. So they all leave. They're all going to different places because I guess that's their recommendation. And they leave in like a fleet of vans, a fleet of Dodge Grand Caravans, which is what I own. And I was like, oof, guys, I really love my minivan. I still do. Years later, I still love my minivan. Um, so after that, we get some information on the screen that Sean admitted to, Di- to Donna about relapsing back there. And they're trying to film him. He's trying to walk away. He's upset. Um, sure. And they want to send him to withdrawal. I mean, they want to send him to uh, rehab. He doesn't want to go. He's explaining that he did a bag of heroin and he's going to go into withdrawal. And so, and he can't take subs for 36 hours after. And I guess like um, when I was looking up like what people were saying about this, someone was explaining, and I don't know how true this is. So keep in mind, it's on the fucking internet. Someone's explained that the way Suboxone works is that if you've been using heroin and you do Suboxone, they flood like your, uh, the receptors for it. And it will knock you into withdrawal if, even if you've you've been using heroin and it sucks. Nobody wants to be in withdrawal ever. Um, that's what keeps a lot of people using just the thought of having to go into withdrawal. Um, Cause it's the worst. If you've been in it one time, you never want it to happen again. Um, maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. I don't know how that works. But um, what I do know is that Sean is saying that like, he can't even get on Suboxone for 36 hours. So he's not going to be sick, which is like, you know what I just said? Nobody wants to ever be sick. So what he want, cause there, cause Donna's like, so what do you plan to do? What do you want to go get high? What do you want to do? And he's like, I want to go get two bags of heroin. I want to take, do one tonight and one in the morning to get myself through and then go to rehab. And I know a lot of people would have been like, no, you can't do that. We got to go right now. But I really respect the fact that Donna was like, okay, do what you got to do. And I will come pick you up in the morning if you're not there. Uh, I think it's on probation because she said she was going to call the police. But which I was like, usually some white guy threatening to call the police on a black lady. But (laughs) not the other way around. Um, But um, I think I think there's some extenuating circumstances why she would be calling the police. Um, if he wasn't there, I, um, yeah, he leaves, he leaves with his mother and sister who 
I can't imagine how they feel. They just did an intervention on on these other people, and to find out that their their son and brother, who is who they think was clean a year, relapsed at an intervention for someone else. I can see myself being like really mad about that, but. What I appreciate is again because I'm I'm think I'm like reading a bunch of stuff right now about handling um, kids with, with intense trauma, specifically those surrounding adoption and foster care, and discipline techniques. And I'm like trying to bone up on some things because I want to like because I want I want to be good at what I'm doing. Um, but yeah, it's a good reminder about like power plays and power struggles and how certain things you, you have to, you need their buy-in. And so they don't necessarily have to, like Sean didn't have to go anywhere with her. And what she's doing, she's having the conversation in a way that like, what is he willing to do? Um, And she just says, do what you gotta do. So... I want to say this. I got a dog sitter for, uh, we're going to Disney, right? I got a dog sitter and I had to go do a meet and greet with the dog sitter so that, uh, she can meet the dogs and, you know, just make sure I'm not trying to bring her some fucking Cujo. And also I want to see where my dogs are going to be. And, um, yeah. So I'm driving through an area of the small suburb of Austin that I live in. The unfashionable, the most unfashionable suburb of Austin <laughs> that I live in. So I'm, so she lives in like a development that's like kind of deep in. And I was like, oh, I've never been this way. I'm driving down this road. And I look to my right. Oh, I look to my left and it, and basically, <laughs> it's not like I'm about to sing a Miley Cyrus song. But I look to my left and I see this building that like is obvious is a part of like a church or something like that. And there's a sign talking about like, um, talking about some other buildings that are across. So I look across, so I look to my right and I see that a big sign that says, um, the name of a, the name of a, uh, rehab. I was like, Oh, there's a real little rehab center. Um, like, you know, facility back here. And you know, you see horses and it looks like, it looks exactly like a rehab facility. And my first thought was like, oh, is this where Butch went on team mom? Cause he did go to Austin. <laughs> but why does like later that day I watched this episode and John John went to that treatment center. <laughs> John John went to that treatment center up the street from my house all the way to my dog sitter's house. <laughs> I was like, damn. So he went there. Um, Lyndon's up in Utah. I mean, they all go different places. Um, Tom, like when we check up on Tom after like 80 some odd days, he looks completely different. Tom, a little weight changes everything. And I I do understand that there are people that'll be like, ugh, he gained all this weight. But I, I don't know. I'd rather be fat than like in, in the midst of an addiction. You know what I mean? He doesn't have a beard. He's just completely different. Um, they tell us that he relapsed on alcohol in rehab. He talks about it. How 
It wasn't even fucking worth it. Which totally reminds me when I was little and I would like steal food from my parents, like sneak cookies or whatever the fuck I was like intent on eating and like getting and how I would take the first bite. And at first I'd be like, so good. And then immediately I'd be like, why did I do this? This is even worse. Like it's the high I thought I was going to get is not there. I just like, now I have to like cover up and deal with my mom being mad at me because I've stolen some something or whatever because I I don't know I couldn't resist Oreos or whatever so then I get upset so then I eat the entire fucking package of Oreos and I try to hide that and they find it and like it would be just like a drama and they'd be upset with me and and like by the time I was in trouble for it I was like this shit wasn't even worth it it didn't even taste good to me it felt it felt terrible as soon as I was chewing the fucking Oreos, I only ate it because I was already in trouble. <laughs> and that's, and like Tom perfectly describes that when he relapsed on alcohol. Um, John John only stayed in rehab for 26 days. And he said Jotty, his girlfriend. So one of the, like at one point we see John John looking for Jotty. She's also, like I said, she's a sex worker. She's, uh, She's, she's street walking, like hopping cars in the middle of the day. So that tells you what level of like where her addiction is. Um, yeah. So he, um, he left cause he wanted to be with her. I'm like, sure. I bet that's true. But I bet she also didn't want to be in rehab. Like I, I get it. Um, So he took a bus from Texas to New Jersey. Guys, when I was in, when I went to LSU, I used to take a bus from LSU back to Virginia Beach to go back and forth for holidays and shit. And it's because I was doing it on my own and I didn't, like, the plane probably wasn't that much more expensive, but I didn't know that because I was a fucking kid and I had to handle it on my own. So I was just like, the cheapest way to go would be on the bus. <laughs> so, but that's a long fucking ride. Um, you know, uh, when they get the update from him, he, they did have a place to live and, um, he and she were in a methadone program, so they were doing their best. Um, when we catch up with Johnny, he looks very different as well. He works at a rehab. Plenty of people do. Um, once they get out of rehab or they finish a program, they get a job there. He... Gets to chop wood again. We see him like with a chainsaw. And when John John left, he was really sad about it. And he almost relapsed then, which is also understandable, but he didn't. Linda's doing well in Utah. She looks she looks completely different. <laughs> Not completely different, but like she's doing her hair and so she looks happy. And she's sober and she's she's gonna stay in fucking Utah. Another thing people usually do. Because like, you know, because you're often doing services where you're like, not services, but you're also doing things there where you're like getting a job. And, so, and it, it, if at the latter part of some treatment, it's possible that you do stuff like that or you go to a sober living and you absolutely do stuff like that. And so once you got a job around there and you found a place, like it, it's very easy to stay. And then also leaving the environment where you were is... Not always going to help, but for a lot of people it does because, because it's 
easy, it's easier to stay out of old routines if you don't have the people and places that you did your old routines at. That said, if you want to get high, you'll get, you'll, I mean, you'll, you'll get in the city and you'll get high. That's, you'll be like, oh, you'll figure out how, way, where to get the drugs from. It'll be fine. Um, not it'll be fine, but you know what I mean? Like if she wanted to, if she wanted to relapse, it's not that hard to figure, to, to get the drugs. It's not that hard, but just the power of not being where your routine is, is helpful for you starting something new because you, you, you can't get into those ruts because you're not where the rut is. You can create new ruts, but still, um, Christina left rehab 73 days after being there and disappeared. No one knew where she went. Um, Sean relapsed after 50 days and then he relapsed again and was just charged, which is like super hard to think about because, um, I think I talked about it in that episode of thin I did with Matilda. Um, I'm not sure whether it was on the main episode or on, uh, if it was a bonus episode on the Patreon, but, um, part of the problem is rehab facilities have to, um, operate like facilities, right? Uh, there, there have to be rules for a reason. They have to be procedures for a reason. There's insurance reasons. There's also like the idea of the group as opposed to the individual, but, also, if you're relapsing in rehab, that's where you need to be. But m- many of them have rules that are like, you know, you can't use in here or relapse in here or you got to go. And it's detrimental to the other patients. Um, I understand that. But like when he relapsed and they discharge, I'm just like, he needs to stay here. <laughs> um, so that's what we got at the end of the episode. I tried to look it up. Uh, I found some message boards and stuff, but I always go to the handy dandy intervention uh, directory. And as usual, I like I always remind you guys, people are crazy on the fucking internet. And there are people in the comments being like, he died. He died. Like, and other people who I guess know Tom and John John, or at least Tom, are like, this is like incredibly it's incredibly uh, irresponsible if you just write that down. I know them that that, that's not what happened, but the general consensus is that, so Tom found Christine, they got back together and they got pregnant and had a baby and they're, uh, they're both on methadone. Tom relapsed in his back, like in Patterson. Um, John, John, also relapsed, but he's like working far, far from Patterson or whatever. I think Johnny, I don't know. It, it was, there was nothing great about it. Um, which is to be expected. Like it's, it's everybody in their family besides Christy and her daughter were addicts and you're surrounded by it. All sides It's one of the reasons people feel like, like no one's ever offered me a drug ever before I I think that feel like there's a stamp on my head that goes no grew up with so many addicts she doesn't need any and I don't <laughs> I got enough fucking addictions <laughs> I do not need to be addicted to 
a fucking illegal drug. Um, that's it guys. Um, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, I got some cool stuff coming up in the next couple of weeks and I can't wait to show it with you to you. And until then, toodles. Toodles.